0: If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Ezekiel chapter 28 and then to the book of Isaiah chapter 14. And then this morning I want you to leave a marker all here and these places and then go to the book of Job. The book of Job chapters 1 and 2. We've been looking at this series, Know Your Enemy. This morning we're coming to a conclusion. It's part 6. Now this Uh, came about i'm i'm in the book of acts on on sunday mornings that's my preference Uh, those of you that that have been here with us at calvary chapel we have gone through the gospel of john and uh, we got into the book of acts Uh, i believe we're in chapter 13 of the book of acts and and yet uh, something just came over me as far as the spirit of the lord speaking to me Uh, there was a 10 12 year old boy that was came to the church His aunt brought him and such, and the little boy was just scared to death, and there was demon activity in this young man's life, Uh, oppression, depression, whatever you might, I do not believe he was demon possessed, and so up here in the front when I prayed with him, he just ran to me and just put his head into my chest, and he was weeping, and it broke me. And I said, Lord, this, this young boy, the enemy's after him. Uh, the mom and the family, they're doing certain things. And we invite the demons. We invite the enemy. When there's an open door, they will be there. And so I prayed for this boy. And then uh, he went uh, back home to Carlsbad. And I hear reports that he's doing a whole lot better. And we continue to pray for him. Then we have a, a gentleman in our fellowship Uh, That his neighbor was being harassed by demons. And here's a couple that's living together. 18 years or so. And and they don't know what to do. One night all of a sudden. uh, In the middle of the night. The the, the woman is in the bed. And she hears uh, crying. And she hears moaning. And she realizes that he's not in bed. And somebody's in the hallway. And it's him. And when she comes out. He's up in there. This is in Las Cruces. And he's up off the ground about three feet. And this big figure, black figure, whatever it was, just had him by the throat, choking him. And the best that this girl could do is finally, she was so scared, and she just screamed, let go. And the demon just took off, dropped the man, went out the door, doors locked. When she went, it was wide open. This is real. These are things that are happening. Then I received a call from a good friend of mine in the east coast and there's a young boy six years old and the demons are speaking to him there's channeling he's saying things doing things that that a young boy doesn't do he doesn't even know and the mom doesn't know this is real somebody opened the door there's a crack whatever it might be and the demons will come in and so the lord had just put it on my heart a teach on know your enemy. And so we've been looking at who is the enemy. We find him in Ezekiel chapter 28. And then we find the downfall of Lucifer in Isaiah chapter 14. And then we also looked at King Nebuchadnezzar, his pride. And that's the start of our downfall. The enemy will put pride in you, and there's good pride, there's national pride, there's pride of your high school and such, and you know, I love our, our Aggies, even though they don't win that many football games, but we love them. And so we have this certain pride, but I'm talking about pride that sets in, it brings you to sin. This was King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3, and God had to break him. In Daniel chapter 4, where he literally for seven years, I believe, that's what the teaching said, uh, that he became like an animal. He, he grew uh, claws and he had feathers in his back. I believe he was in all fours and he's eating grass. And yet through that, God brought him to salvation. I think we will see, it, I believe we will see, Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. And then last week uh, we taught on spiritual warfare out of Ephesians chapter 6 and here's Paul in prison for two years at least in a Roman prison being guarded by, you know, and shackled to uh, uniformed Roman soldiers and he turns that around and he says our, our, our warfare is not carnal. But it's spiritual. We have a battle on us. And remember what uh, the Lord told uh, back in 2 Chronicles, I believe, in chapter 15, chapter 20, verse 15. And he was speaking to the king and he says, the battle is not yours, but the battle belongs to the Lord. And our weapons are not carnal, but our weapons are spiritual. You have your Bible. You have the word of God. You have the power of prayer. And then you have the power of the Holy Spirit as he leads you and guides you into all truth. But if if we begin to dabble into sin, we open the doors. We invite the, the enemy to come in. And so we need to know our enemy. And so we've been looking at this series. We're going to tie it all up. And if you want to get the series, we're going to make them available. They'll be for free. We don't charge. And so they'll be in the back table. And we're going to ask the Uh, The sound room to put it together. And so let's get into our study. Know Your Enemy, part six. We have been looking at our series concerning Christians. Do we know our enemy? The believer, the follower of Christ Jesus. We must know and understand our enemy. Who is our enemy? And we know that it's Lucifer. He goes by many names. He is called Lucifer. He's called Satan. He's called the dragon. He's called Beelzebub. He's called the serpent. He's called the devil. And I like this name that was given to him because of what he does. He's called destroyer. And he's on a mission. He hates you. He hates me. He hates the church. And he wants to search and steal and destroy the ultimate. And so we know that Lucifer, the devil himself, has helpers. We know that a third of the angels were cast out of heaven with him. And this is the demonic realm. It is real. And what was the purpose of the angelic beings in heaven? What was the purpose of Lucifer? We're going to see. I believe he was in charge of the music. But these angels are put there to worship God. They're put there to obey God. They're put there to serve God. And if you look at my life, you look at your life, you look at the Christian life. We're called to worship God. That's what we did here this morning. We're called to obey God as we go through his word. And we're called to be servants unto the Lord. We're no different than the angelic beings as far as the calling is concerned. But then we know that Lucifer uh, took it upon himself and pride set in. It starts at the heart. What was my downfall before I came to Christ? It was my pride. And what did I say? I don't need God. I mean, I have him. I mean, I'm baptized already. I made my confirmation. I made my communion. Mary and I were even married in the church. Come on, I've done it all. And yet it kept hounding me. Bob, you need to be born again. The Spirit of the Lord would not let me me be. And I didn't understand the concept. How can I go back in to my mother's womb? That's exactly what Nicodemus said in John chapter 3. And so pride sets in. That was Lucifer's downfall in Isaiah chapter 14. And then a great battle between Michael and Lucifer uh, in Revelation chapter 12. He's described as, as the dragon there. And the dragon took a third of the stars with him. That's the angelic beings. And they're the demonic world. How many? A third? We don't know how many it started with. But I tell you what, there's enough to go around the world. There's enough to make people go in and shoot other people. There's enough to to do the carnage of beheading. This is all demonic. Don't tell me it's part of their culture as far as their religion. That's what they believe. It's demonic. God is about love. He's not about hate. God is about love. He's not about killing. And yet God is righteous and, and just. He will judge if we don't come to Christ. And so let's go through it real quick, Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 through 19, and then we'll go to Isaiah. He begins in verse 11, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, this is Ezekiel as he's pinning, son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, thus saith the Lord God, you are the seal of perfection, and then it says, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. Why are we, if this is Satan, why are we to lament? Why are we to cry out? Why are we to pray for Him? We pray because it was God's creation. I don't pray for Him now, but He was saying right here, pray because He's a fallen angel. When Jesus looked over Jerusalem in in the, the Gospel of Matthew, He knew that Jerusalem was going to be in trouble. And He wept over Jerusalem. He cried over Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who desire to to punish and to kill the prophets. I wanted so much to gather you as as a mother chicken gathers her hens, and to love you. And in 70 AD, Jerusalem was leveled. Jesus knew it was coming. And so listen to the description of Lucifer. I believe that's who they're speaking about. Seal of perfection, full of wisdom. Look at verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. And notice the beauty and description of stone. You were the, the, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, and the emerald with gold. And then it speaks of his ministry. The workmanship of your timbrels or your cymbals. The workmanship of your pipes or your flutes, was prepared for you on the day that you were created. That's this purpose of the worship ministry. Think about that. Notice the anointing on him. In verse 14, you were the anointed cherub uh, who covers his wings. It speaks of the angel that he was, and still is. I establish you, uh, you, and he says, you were on the holy mountain of God. He had access to the throne of God. You walk back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. We gave a reference if you want it. In the book of Exodus 24, uh, verse 10. He had access to heaven. He had position in heaven. Verse 15. You were perfect in, in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity or sin was found in you. And that's what we study in Isaiah 14. The sin of pride. The downfall of Lucifer, the downfall of many men, many women. Look at verse 16. By the abundance of your trading, that's the merchandising uh, in the Hebrew. You became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you out as a profane thing, out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub. He says, from the midst of the fiery stones, Lucifer was cast out of the abode of God. Again, Revelation chapter 12, Isaiah chapter 14. Here's where pride starts. Listen to verse 17. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze upon you. It was his beauty. It was his position. It was his heart. And it took the better of him. And God had to kick him out. He had free will to choose just as we have free will to choose. Look at verse 18 and 19. Uh, you defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, the many sins, the merchandising. Uh, what does pride bring you to? The place uh, of merchandising, lying, cheating, you know, murder, rape, stealing, gossip. I mean, fill it in. How many people uh, kill somebody and then they wake up and they what, what did I do? Somebody in a DWI wipes out a family or wipes out a little girl, a little boy. I've seen it. I've gone to visit these guys. In the morning, they don't know what I didn't know. I didn't know I hit somebody. I thought I hit a deer. I, I thought I hit a dog, whatever it might be. No, it was a human being. And you took their life. All because you said, I can handle it. And that's what the enemy does. And he just fills you with this. Notice by uh, the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst and devoured you. And I turned you to ashes unto the earth in the sight of all uh, who saw you. Lucifer's merchandising eventually will complete the judgment on him. He was defeated 2,000 years ago at Calvary. I like what one old pastor says. He just doesn't know it. But one day he will be cast into the lake of fire in the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 19, all who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. Once we recognize the enemy, he's nothing but a big fat zero. He's nothing. He's just that little guy in the red pajamas. You know what I mean? And that's the, the culture everybody thinks. Listen, he's real, he's alive, and he's well. But he's doomed, and if he knows that his time is running short, how much more is he going to try to paralyze people's lives? He's doing it, and we're going to see it escalate, I believe, totally. Now, uh, just to be fair, in Ezekiel 28, it's talking about the prince of Tyre, or, or the king of Tyre, and there were actual kings. But if you look at the language, and if you look at the culture, and you look, this guy was in the Garden of Eden. It's Satan, it's Lucifer, this King of Tyre. Now let's go to Isaiah chapter fourteen, verses twelve through twenty-one, uh, Lucifer's fall. And as we've been teaching so much, what was his his major sin? Was pride. In Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. What got me into trouble? What got you into trouble? It starts with pride. I'm okay. You're okay. We're okay. How many people are in hell right now that said we're okay? I'm not that bad. I believe in God. Well, the demons also believe in God. And so let's see it's fall now. The famous 5 eye wills of Lucifer. In Isaiah 14, verse 12, we begin. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, a son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground? You who weakened the nations. Has he weakened nations? Look around us, church. For you have said in your heart, listen to the problem. It begins in the heart. And here's the famous 5 eye wills of Lucifer. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, that he was better than all the other angels. I will also sit in the mount of the congregation of the farthest side of the north. Barnes' uh, notes tells us that farthest north is Zion. And then you look next to Zion is Calvary. And so that's what he wanted. Notice, I will verse 14, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And lastly, I will be like the Most High. Isn't that the call and the teaching of most cults? You can reach Godhood. You can reach God's state. Be careful with that. We're here to worship and to obey and to serve the Lord. And so Lucifer, after that, was kicked out. Let's keep reading. Verse 15, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to hell, to Hades, to the lowest depths of the pit, those who see you will gaze at you, consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth to tremble? Is this the man who shook kingdoms? And again he was nothing. We're finally going to see him in the day of judgment, and we'll say, He's the one that caused all the problems, and yet look what he's done so much. Notice he goes on in his testimony, who he says in verse 17, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities who did not open the house of his prisoners, Jesus came to set the captives free. Lucifer came comes to bind the enemy. He comes to bind men, he comes to bind women. Doesn't come to set you free. Look at all the celebrities that have been bound. Look at all the musicians that have been bound. Then he gives them for a season. They become millionaires. They have the facelifts. They have the the body changes. Look at Bruce Jenner today. What is he doing? What happened to Michael Jackson? What happened to Elvis Presley? The list goes on. Kids today still, uh, they still acknowledge and, and they love Kurt Cobain. He killed himself. Drugs. The enemy just pushes until he pulls the plug. That's exactly what he does. And so one day we will see that he is nothing. Notice verse 18. All the kings of the nation, all of them sleep in glory. Everyone in his own house. He's speaking about death. Watch this now. But you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch. Like the garment of those who are slain, Uh, thrust through with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a corpse trodden underfoot. He's giving a vivid description of burial. But listen to this in verse 20. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land and slain your people. He has family. The brood of evildoers shall be, uh, never be named. Satan will not join the dead. Satan will be cast into the lake of fire. Prepare, verse 21, prepare slaughter for his children. His children, his offspring, because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. Lucifer's offspring, those that follow him, and there's many. And again, I was told, Bob, you're either serving God or you're serving Satan. And I I just couldn't handle it. I says, I've never had anything to, to do with Satan, with Lucifer, with the devil himself. I know he's out there. But yet if I'm not serving God, I'm serving the enemy. And so now I want to bring it to a conclusion. The book of Job is very, very exciting. It's a poetical book. And poetry is a lot different than what we understand our poetry. We like our poetry to, to run smooth. We like our poetry to rhyme. And we have a reason and we follow it through. But in Hebrew culture, it's totally different. I want to give you some background because I love doing that. And so Job is Arabaic, the name. And it means persecuted, that's what I'm told in my, in my book studies, and it makes sense, because this man's going to be persecuted. The book was written in the time uh, before the great exodus, uh, sometime during the time of Genesis. We don't know who the writer uh, was. Most agree it was not Job, but an Israelite who knew the trials and the pains of Job, so it's possibly one of his friends. Hebrew poetry, and this is what we're going to see here, uh, the book of Job, the book of Proverbs, the book of Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon are all considered poetical books. But Hebrew poetry does not rhyme. It does not have rhythm, one of my commentaries said. But it has parallel thoughts. And you're going to see that in chapter 1, He's going to say almost the same things in chapter 2, in the introduction. So the, the repetition, if you may. But let me give you Job's background. Job was living in the midst of great prosperity. He was suddenly overwhelmed by a series of great trials that fell upon him. Amid all of his sufferings, listen, he maintained his integrity. You need to understand that. In the midst of all his suffering, he maintained his integrity. How many times people say, if God does that, I don't want to serve him anymore. If God took my wife, I don't want to serve him anymore. If God took my child, I've heard it, church. I've heard it. And Job's going to lose practically everything except his own life. And yet through it all, he maintained his integrity. Then one more time, God visited him. After taking everything away and and replaced everything with richness and goodness and even greater prosperity than he had enjoyed before. He survived the trial and lived 140 years according to Job chapter uh, 42. He's an example succeeding generations like ourselves we read concerning the integrity uh, of Job if you're taking notes in Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 14. In Ezekiel 14, verse 20, it speaks of his integrity uh, alongside Noah, Daniel, and Job. They're called men of righteousness. Job's submissive patience and perseverance and trials are mentioned in James chapter 5, verse 11. And James writes uh, to the 12 tribes scattered concerning the great diaspora. James' theme, faith that works. Faith that works. But he speaks about trials. And sometimes we have to go through the trials. Job, Pastor Chuck gives this little commentary that I love so much. Job was reduced to the bare essence of his existence. Everything important was stripped away from Job. Job lost his possessions. Job lost his family. Job lost his friends. And then Job loses his health. Pastor Chuck says, when you have lost everything, the day-to-day worries lose their meaning. When everything is stripped away from you, what are the things that are expressed? He's asking a question. What are the cries? He's asking a question. So then Job becomes a godly example to us as we listen to his cries. Pastor Chuck can write that from experience. I remember when I heard the story that uh, he was scheduled to pick up his dad and his brother at the airport. His dad was flying in. He was an avid pilot. He had his own Cessna. And he was scheduled to pick him up at 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And Chuck gets there. And no plane. 5.30, quarter to 6, Chuck senses something's wrong. And he goes and inquires. And they said, we lost him. We don't know where it's at on the radar. And no sooner than later they, they found out that the plane had gone down. And so Chuck understands. Here's Chuck with a big ministry. Here's Chuck with a big group of people. And yet his dad is taken. His brother is taken. It would have been easy for him to get mad, to get angry. And this was Job. This was the heart of Job, and Job did not fight anybody. Now, let me read to you what James writes real quick. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8. And I like the caption of my Bible, profiting from trials, My brethren accounted all joy when you fall into various trials now listen to this knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience and when i've studied that and i've looked at this and i and you look up the word patience god's building character in you that's the word patience god's building stamina in you god's building strength in you and i revert back i said lord i have plenty of character i don't need any more Don't take me through these trials. And yet Job goes through. Knowing that the testing of your faith. Produces patience. Verse 4. But let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete. Lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom. Let him ask of God. Who gives to all liberally. And without reproach. And it may be given to him. Ask. Ask. The Lord will give you wisdom. But let him ask in faith, not doubting. For he who doubts is like the waves of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And they're forgotten. For let us not, not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. I think of the woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. And Jesus was coming with an entourage of people. And she heard the Messiah was coming. She heard about the healing. And she exhausted all her money. Remember that? And she went to all the doctors. And she reached in. And the best she could do, because there were so many people, she got a hold of the hem of his garment. She got a hold of the hem of his garment. Jesus, stop. And he said, who touched me? And the disciples, just like us, what do you mean, Jesus? Everybody's touching you. Everybody's bumping you. Everybody's walking alongside. No, somebody touched me. Power left Christ. Some power left him. This woman touched him with faith. If I could only touch the hem of his garment, he's going to heal me. And she was made well. And the bleeding stopped. Let him ask in faith. Not doubting. He says in verse 7 and 8. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. If you have no faith. He is a double minded man. Unstable in all his ways. Don't just ask. But you got to have faith. Jesus said have mustard seed faith. Have faith like a child. Have faith. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Get into the Word of God. Lord, you touch so many people. You can touch me, Lord. I've received healings before. Some of you have received healings before. And yet, some, people, some of our families here at the chapel have died of cancer. Well, Pastor Bob, how come they weren't healed? Isn't death, in a sense, a healing if you know Christ? To be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Now let's get into the story of Job. Uh, Two chapters that are just incredible. And and I just want to kind of give you this. He's, He's from the land of Uz, if I'm saying it right. But if you look at the maps... Uh, they really don't know where it's at, but they have an idea. You have the Tigris, and you have the Euphrates, and you kind of split them. And so you have Babylon over here. You have Shinar down at the bottom. You have a, a city called Joktan at the bottom. And, and so then you have this whole section in the left, and it's called north of Arabia, uh, the desert. It's believed that this is the area uh, where Abraham's family was from in that area. It's believed we're going to see uh, the roving uh, Chaldeans and the Sabaeans. They were from this area. They're mentioned in the scripture. So uh, they really don't know where. But this is the idea that they're giving. And so let's get into the book of Job. Uh, Notice in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz, and he says, whose name was Job. That a man that was blameless and upright and one who feared God and he shunned evil. He was blameless. The King James says perfect. The Hebrew means a total man in Christ. A mature man in Christ. Our understanding, a man who has it all together uh, in Christ for the New Testament. He had it in God in the Old Testament. He reverenced God. He didn't fear God, that God was going to pounce on him. He reverenced God. Job had a heart after God's heart, just like David. And David was a sinner. He shunned from evil. He turned away from evil. I'm reminded of Genesis chapter 39. Uh, Joseph, and he was in Potter's house, and and Potiphar's wife, uh, she kept eyeing this young boy. And she finally sent all the servants away. And she says, he's mine. She grabbed a hold of his garment. She said, lie with me. And the Bible says, Joseph ran from sin naked. He would not defile himself before God and before Potiphar The respect. You know what's interesting? He was put in the dungeon for a couple of years. He should have been killed if it was true. I believe Potiphar knew his wife. And Potiphar also knew His servant, Joseph. And so again, here's a trial for Joseph. Thank you, Lord. First my brother saw me, and now I got this beautiful job, and now I didn't do anything. I ran from sin, and I'm in the dungeon, and God uses him in the prison. Everything has a purpose. Don't raise your hand, but how many times you're going through something, and you go, what's this? Why me? Give it to Pastor Jay. And yet God has a reason. God has a purpose. I can say that because he left already. Notice, we continue to speak about Job, his testimony. And seven sons and and three daughters were born to him. And here it speaks about his wealth in verse 3. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 uh, female donkeys so they could reproduce, and a very large household. And so that this man was the greatest... In all the people of the east, great finances. People looked up to him. People knew about him in the east. His testimony went before him. Notice verse 4. And his sons would go and feast in their houses each on an appointed day. And would send and invite their three sisters uh, to eat and drink with them. Notice that the children had their own homes. The children had their own families. The children had plentiful, not only children, I believe there was grandchildren. And they had to have plenty of herds and, and livestock, etc. They had their lands, they had their houses. Imagine the crops that they had. This all speaks of, of Job's status quo, quo at the time. I mean, much wealth, he had everything. He was a wealthy man. His family was wealthy. But you're going to see something about his children because they're going to be judged. In verse 5, so it was, uh, when the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, and listen to the testimony, speaking of his children, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God. In their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Job took time uh, to pray. Job took time to make a sacrifice. For his children. It's believed that Job was a a priest also. It's interesting. I hope and pray those of you. uh, That are married. You need to learn to pray together. And you need to learn to pray for your children. Mary and I still pray for our girls. They moved out. Now we pray for our girls and our grandchildren. We don't stop praying. Lord, keep them in church, Lord. Lord, keep them serving wherever they're at in church. Lord, keep them from any any type of sin. Lord, our grandchildren, they're, they're part of the, you know, politically correct system that we're living in today. Everything's right. Lord, protect them from that. Show them the way of righteousness. I want you to listen to this passage. 1 Samuel chapter 12 verse 23. Uh, Saul's coordination. He's being coronated Because uh, he's king. Samuel comes to pray for him. And through it all. Samuel's talking to the children of Israel. And he says. It is a sin. If I don't pray for you. Yes, he was there to pray for Saul. And he was there to pray for the leadership. But he looked at the people. And he said, it'd be a sin if I don't pray for you. It's a sin, dads, if you're not praying for your household. It's a sin, mom, if you're not praying for your children. It's a sin if I don't pray for the congregation here. It's a sin. If I have the responsibility of prayer and I don't pray. Job knew his kids. What were they into? It says that he made sacrifices for them regularly. It says they got together and they were feasting, they were drinking, they were partying. I'm sure there was others there. And so we continue now in verse 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God, these are the fallen angels, they came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came along with them. I struggle with these verses as I'm going to be teaching them. The access that that Satan had. The access that the demonic world had. And do they still have that same access today? I believe so. And so notice that the attacks are going to come. (coughs) Excuse me, look at verse 7. And the Lord said to Satan, now God, speaking to him, from where do you come? Now God knows, but he wants to respond. So Satan answered the Lord and he said from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth excuse me in the midst of that that's the whole purpose of Lucifer he's on a mission to search and destroy he's constantly at prey and as we've shared many times he does not play fair remember when we were kids whatever game hey that was out of bounds try that with the enemy There's no out of bounds. He can do whatever he wants. And that's what we studied in Ephesians chapter 6. He he, he has this bag of tricks. And he knows exactly what to use. From where do you come? He questions him. And then in verse 8. And then there's another passage that I just have a hard time with. Yet. It's scriptural, and I will teach it. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Change it. Put your name. Have you considered my servant Bob? Oh, Lord, please don't go there. And you would say the same. Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on all the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God, And he shuns from evil. Brings it back as testimony. Why did God say this? Because God knew his servant Job. This is perfectly clear in my mind, in my heart. Yet I still ask why. And yet I'm reminded in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. With the trial, with the testing. God always makes a way of escape. He will not give us any more than we can handle. How many of you have thrown up your hands in the midst of your trial? Lord, I can't handle it anymore. And yet God knows our hearts. God knows your heart. He will not give you any more than you can handle. He was not about to give any more uh, to to Job, but he gave him plenty, didn't he? Look at verse uh, 9 as we continue. So Satan answered the Lord and he said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Look how he comes back. Now, the Lord knows this is happening. Does Job fear God for nothing? The Bible teaches that Satan has many tricks. He does not reverence God. So he says, does Job reverence God for nothing? Is there a cost to this? Take something away from him. I'm reminded of a story, if you're taking notes, 2 Samuel chapter 24. David had counted the people and he got in trouble with the Lord and the Lord came against him and the Lord was going to bring judgment upon the nation. David got wind of it so he went uh, to the threshing floor of Arona. Arona was a Jebusite and David went to him and he says, sell me the threshing floor, that I might make an offering unto the Lord. Arona saw who it was. He says, you're the king. He says, take it, it's free. David said, no. What can I give to the Lord? Listen, unless it first cost me. Unless it first cost me, it had to cost David. It had to cost Job. Sometimes what I go through, sometimes what you go through, it has to cost you. And with that costing, God is working in your life. With that challenge, God is chipping away the old man, the old woman. With that trial, God is working, moving. You don't understand it, I don't understand it. And this was Job. How can I offer a burnt offering, said David, to the Lord God without it first costing me? And so Satan knows that. Listen to verse 10. Have you not made a hedge around him? This is Lucifer talking. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hand and his possessions have increased in the land. Is there a hedge around us? Does God protect us? I want you to write down this verse. In Psalm 91, Verses 11 and 12, I'm just going to paraphrase it. God has angels that surround us. God has angels that protect us. They are protectors. They bear us up, the psalmist says. Because Satan desires uh, to dash you against the stones. Remember when Jesus knew what was happening to Peter. And he says, Peter, I'm praying for you. Because Satan desires to sift you as weight. Uh, the enemy does not play fair. And my prayer is, Lord, please, don't take down the hedge. Lift up that hedge. Put a double hedge. Put it higher than I can even imagine. But yet God knew his servant, Job. Mary and I have traveled back and forth to Southern California many times in the last 36 years. And I'll tell you what. We've come into some situations and such. Years ago, we drove late at night so the kids could sleep in the back of the van. And I'd be the only one awake. Mary's asleep, and I'm listening to praise music all the way. Cassettes, remember that? Walkmans, remember that? Some of you are going, what? And things happen out in the desert. It's dark. Noises. Out of nowhere, things would happen. You've got to pray. God's there to protect us. Look at verse 11. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he had. And he will surely curse you to your face. What a challenge. Don't forget God knows his servant Job. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Oh, Lord, no. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. God gives him permission. He has access. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine and their oldest brothers home. Celebration time. And a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them and the Sabaeans, they were part of the land of Uz raided them and took them away indeed they have uh, killed the servants uh, with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you these Sabaeans were men of evil from the queen of Sheba believe when you do uh, the background and we're going to see the Chaldeans in just a minute Satan will take whatever he can and so you have to know your enemy what were the kids doing I don't know were they partying and drinking? He was doing sacrifices for them. And then he goes on in verse 16. While he was still speaking. And you hear this rhetoric over and over. Another also came and said. The fire of God fell upon from heaven. And burned up the sheep. And the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. There's always a remnant of God's people. He said, verse 17, while he was still speaking the same logical words, another also came and said, now the Chaldeans, they're also part of the land of Uz, formed three bands and raided the camels and took them away. Yes, and killed the servant with the edge of the sword and all have escaped. I am the only one that has escaped. To tell you. Remember, we read how many he had. They're all gone now. The Chaldeans were also an evil group. They were part of Nebuchadnezzar's soothsayers in Babylon. In verse 18, while he was still speaking, this continues, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And then it says, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and fell on the young people and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. But your children are dead. What is Job going through? This is your typical response in the Hebrew culture. In verse 20, then Job arose and he tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and he worshiped. Listen to the statement in verse 21. Because you're going to listen to a different statement from his wife in the next chapter. And Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. Uh, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I have read these words. I have studied these words. I have taught these words. And I can honestly say I don't know what I would do. You would say likewise. Look what's going on in the Middle East today. Deny Christ, come back to the Muslim faith, or we'll behead you. They have to make a choice. Could be the time is coming, we're going to have to make choices also. But Job says, naked I came into the world, naked I'm going to leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord, no matter what he takes. In verse 22, his integrity. And all this Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Oh, how many times I've heard uh, of Christians that have shaken their fist at God how many times I've heard a Christian saying, I'm not going to church no more I have a good friend named Ronnie back in Southern California he said he was so mad at God at the end of his street it was kind of an incline there was a lamppost and he figured just like the ziggurats I'm going to reach God he climbed the pole he was drunk and he's shaking his fist at God and I'm, I'm just going, you're nuts. You're crazy. He says, God didn't hear me that day. I was drunk. I was stupid. He's serving the Lord today. And I go, man, I'd go kiss that pole every day. <laughs> In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Job chapter 2. Now he's going to go after Job. First one failed, now he goes after Job. Verse 1 again. Uh, there was a day when the sons of God noticed a repetition from verse chapter 1 and they came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came along also uh, among them and presented himself before the Lord. These are the fallen angels. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan answered uh, the Lord and said, To and fro. Uh, from going to and fro on the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to the integrity, to his integrity, although you incited me against him, to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered, The Lord and said, skin for skin, that's very important here. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. In other words, objects mean nothing. Job had lost it all. And in a sense, he lost all his children. There's nothing he can do. But Job still has his life. And so he says, skin for skin. Verse 5. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone, his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your faith. This is Satan. This is Lucifer. And yet God had told him before, don't touch him. Again, but God knows his servant, Job. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. Behold, he is in your hand, but spare his life. I put in my footnotes, why would God do this? Because he knew his servant, Job. Why do you go through the things that you go through? Because God knows you. Why do you see some other Christians going through more than you're going through? Because God knows them, God knows you. Or why are you going through so much and they're not going through so much? Because God knows you, God knows them. Be careful. Our place is to serve the Lord. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In verse 7, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and he struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head and he took for himself a piece of pot shirt Uh, That's pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. That's the best that Job could do, get a hold of a piece of pottery. I want you to think about this. Job has boils. We all know what a pimple is and just, you know, exaggerate it. Make it bigger. And the pimple is from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet. There's probably multitudes of them. The best he could do is scratch. This is what God had his servant, Job, go through. Very painful also. And here comes his wife. She's supposed to be his prayer warrior. She's supposed to be his soulmate. She's supposed to be his support. Didn't she say until death do us part? Notice. In verse 9, then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity, Job? Curse God and die. I describe his wife as a miserable comforter. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God? And shall we not accept adversity? In all this, again, Job did not sin with his lips. Not once. He didn't curse God. He didn't shake his fist at God. He didn't go look for the highest pole and try to climb it. The Lord gives. The Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The conclusion, Job has three great friends here. Now when Job, three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place. Eliphaz, the the Temanite, uh, Bildad, the, the Shushite, uh, Zophar, uh, the Manahite, for they had made an appointment together, listen to this, to come and to mourn with him, and to comfort him, I like that, but watch when they see him, and when they raised their eyes from afar, and did not recognize Job, they lifted their voices, and they wept, and each one tore his robe. And they sprinkled dust on their head toward heaven. And you know the Jewish custom, they just break open the the robe and they, Oi Vei, Lord, they're crying out. They were comforting him, encouraging him. And so they sat down uh, with him on that ground for seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was great. I like these type of friends. Friends that are going to surround themselves around you. Friends that are going to comfort you with prayer. Friends that are going to comfort you with the word of God. Friends that will be there with you through thick and thin. His wife cursed God that you serve. Look what he's done to you. We have no mention about that woman. You know, at that point I said, Lord, you should have struck her dead. That's the mercy of God, isn't it? You know it's interesting? The book of Job chapters 1 and 2. I never hear of any of our faith and prosperity preachers on TV teaching this because it won't go. It won't go. They will not teach that. The reality, we know our enemy, the reality, we go through trial. The reality, some of us more than others. There's a sweet lady in ICU right now. There's a gentleman over here at ICU in El Paso. He's a Christian. It's not easy, church. One is 36, the other one's 95. What's the difference? Know your enemy.